episode 212 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro studio in Los Angeles, aka the kitchen table. This week on the show, we've got the co-creator of Blackout Haunted House, the one and only Josh Randall, is here to talk about Blackout 10, the 10th anniversary edition of the infamous, famous, famous, both Blackout which has inspired so many shows in what we call the extreme haunt genre. Uh, And we're going to get into that. We're going to get into the legacy of the show. We're going to get into so much in what you're about to hear. Uh, This is a fantastic interview. I always thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy talking to Josh. He always challenges my point of view, uh, makes me look at things from a different angle, and keeps me on my toes. So um, we did this interview inside 2-Bit Circus. But a couple of things before we get started. One, we are talking about a show that uh, pushes people's limits. Uh, So you got an explicit content warning in here. It's been a couple of weeks. I don't remember exactly what we talked about. So, but much like Blackout, once you go past this uh, little uh, thing where I go, and now we do the interview, uh, you're, you're, you're on your own. Uh, just know that uh, much like you can uh, call the safe word and leave the show, you can switch the podcast off. We do not really go into any kind of deep, deep madness. I don't remember it being. We actually do spend a lot of time talking about the business of immersive because Josh, um, he runs a lot of stuff at 2-Bit Circus and he has worked on uh, and and directed a lot of large scale installation works for uh, marketing activations. So this is a very broad ranging conversation we're about to have, but there are a few things I want to get into. And yeah, we're going to do the Patreon in a second, but there's some other stuff first. But again, remember, consider this your explicit content warning uh, once you hear the music. I want to point out a few things that are going around in the world. At Venice International Film Festival right now, uh, there is a movement being launched called The Next Amendment. Uh, and even though it's at Venice International Film Festival, uh, it is a movement to amend the United States Constitution and put in a right to shelter. Uh, they are launched. The reason why I'm mentioning this is they're launching it with a mixed reality documentary called These Sleepless Nights that was executive produced by Edward Saatchi, uh, who you might know from the Virtual Beings Conference and from Fable Studio and from Oculus Studio before that, and uh, with music by Philip Glass that takes you into the issue of being evicted, into the issue of being uh, unhomed. Uh, It is going to emerge after the Venice International Film Festival as uh, an installation in San Francisco, Chicago, and Minneapolis, if I'm remembering correctly, because as usual, I do not have my notes in front of me, uh, and will also be on iPhone as an app. Uh, So those three is public uh, public art and then on the iPhone as an app. So that's happening today. You get more details on that on the website. It's even on the front page. Also on the front page of the website, full listings for Without Walls 
in San Diego. That is the biennial festival that La Jolla Playhouse puts on that brings uh, theater artists and uh, installation artists from around the world uh, and often has some amazing immersive offerings. This year, we are lucky enough to have both then she, uh, Third Rail Projects, who make Then She Fell, <laughs> guess which part of the notes I looked at right there, um, coming in to do a brand new work called Icaros, and uh, La, Las Quinceaneras uh, by uh, David Israel Reynoso, who is a friend of the show, uh, his company, Optica Moder- Moderna. Ugh. I am having trouble talking today, uh, and I've already re-recorded part of the podcast. We're just going to keep moving forward because it, it'll take forever to get it otherwise. All right, so I implore you, check out the full listings for WOW because there's some really quality work this year. Tickets go on sale on September 13th. You don't want to miss it. It is going to be worth the trip, even if you can only catch a couple of things. Here in Los Angeles, tickets are on sale for both House of Creep from our friends over at Just Fix It Productions, makers of Creep and the Willows, and a brand new Delusion installment, uh, a missing chapter of the Blue Blade saga, Alt-Delete, is popping up. Uh, it's going to be a different kind of thing for Delusion this year. Both of them are opening in the middle of September. Both of them have tickets on sale already, and they have runs that are going for a bit. Uh, Delusion's run goes into December. Creep's run goes into November. But that doesn't mean that tickets are going to last forever. These things inevitably, inevitably sell out. So go check it out right now. In New York, over the New York Film Festival, I want you to keep an eye on The Raven, which is showing up. This piece has a stellar creative team behind it. Uh, and it is all being done in honor of the 170th anniversary of the death of Edgar Allan Poe, uh, and it's going to be c- combining immersive theater and state-of-the-art augmented audio uh, and elements of gameplay. Um, we're going to hear a lot more about that one soon, but just keep your eye on the ball over there at the New York Film Festival. Okay, we've gotten past parts of the show that I'm going to screw up, and we're going to keep moving forward into our Patreon. Um, at the beginning of the month, we put a call out because uh, things have had gotten tight and they remain tight. But I just want to thank everyone who's contributed in this past month. Um, we are up to 30 backers and an extra $125 for the month so far. Hey, that's a big chunk of my rent. So thank you so much from the bottom of my heart uh, for doing this. The latest backers are Alexander Porter, Aaron Sussman, Stephanie Reyes, and Christy McKay, upped her amount we're up to 268 patrons at no no we've got more than that yeah we've got more than that i was just looking earlier today that's the wrong number what's the actual number we are up to bump up a bump 271 patrons and 1548 dollars a month hey um I'll, I'll get i'll be at minimum wage soon cool um <laughs> um I'm, I'm slightly cynical about all such things, but I also want to point out uh, thank you so much uh, to the College of Extraordinary Experiences. Uh, they did a special auction uh, of some of their tickets. Someone came in, bought them, and uh, that is is giving us the runway. So, um, you know, we're far from sitting pretty, and I don't, I'm not making mortgage payments yet, and I'm not paying down my credit cards. But we live to fight another day. And we've got so much coming for you. We've got videos that are in process right now. We're doing more live streams. We're punching through and just there's this all this work that's being done that we're about ready to unleash. 
and I'm getting really, really excited. And I just want to thank you all. I also want to give a big shout out to our sustaining backers who I forgot to thank at the top of the show. I always thank them at the bottom of the show, but I forgot to thank them at the top of the show last time. Mark Balthazar, Jan Bubman, Paul F., Lonnie Hanson, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, and Samuel Mustry. Thank you all so much for keeping us going. This is the end of the month. It's August 30th. If you were ever thinking about it, it's always a great time to jump in because inevitably in a couple of days, there's going to be something that went wrong and I'm going to like, oh no, we lost $20. And just like it starts again at the endless cycle of, of living on Patreon. But there you go. That's all that. Patreon.com slash no proscenium. Thank you all so very, very much. All right. I think I introduced most of this already. And again, you know, it's blackout. I've never done blackout. My housemates done blackout. Anthony's done blackout. Other friends of mine have done blackout. Brian Bishop's done blackout. Blackout. Brian Brian Bishop is a friend. Brian, don't don't take that the wrong way. Just, I'm just pointing out who's done blackout. Blackout shows up at the Overlook Film Festival. Landon programs them in. Josh, Josh one time hit me up to do Blackout. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. And that was before I met Josh. I am still amazed. I'm, I'm, I'm titillated is the word. I'm, I'm fascinated. I, I'm a little bit trepidatious about ever maybe doing it myself. One day, I will probably do Blackout. I may not like it. Just, 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 just you know, straight up. It may not be my bag. As as we kind of know, you know, I, I'm not I'm not I don't I don't I don't go to this stuff for certain types of thrills. And when it comes to the stuff that really brings the um, the the higher up the fear factor goes, the more likely I am to put an elbow somewhere it doesn't belong. Um, I learned that when I did alone for the first time. And so I spent my time kind of controlling myself to go through it because I just, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to accidentally hurt an actor. Um, there was, there was one show where someone was like, you know, doing a strangle thing and I turned, turned into a wrestling match between us. I, you know, was like, nope, not doing that. And next thing you know, we were just kind of, kind of cuddled up with each other. That was not part of the plan for anyone. Um, but nevertheless, this work causes a stir and a sensation. And if you're dialed in to this kind of thing, then then blackout is is a is a place to go. It's a it's a road to explore. But just know yourself. Check it out. Talk to other people. But this is this is a not insignificant part of our world. And I'm very glad that we get to talk to Josh Randall one of the people who kicked off this 10 years ago one of one of the, the the one of the godfathers of the current immersive renaissance here we go cue the music backstage at 2-Bit Circus right now, where uh, Josh Randall has his day job, but we're here right now to talk about the thing that made Josh Randall into the Josh Randall, uh, which is Blackout Haunted House, which is celebrating its 10th anniversary this year. 
Absolutely. Thanks for uh, for having me on. Happy to be here. Um, yeah, we started in 2009 uh, with Blackout, and it started as an immersive theater piece and kind of quickly spiraled out of control to, to what it is today. Um, we're super happy to have been running for 10 years, and, and especially as you mentioned, here I am at 2-Bit Circus. I'm a creative producer here now, um, and it's been an amazing path and journey going from off, 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 off-Broadway, site-specific, to opening the immersive theater piece, Blackout, letting it run for many years, opening in new cities, and then transitioning to other positions, other jobs, other companies, and kind of taking all that and, and moving forward. Yeah, because you do, along with your work here at 2Bit, you do a bunch of experiential work in the, in the, out in the marketing world. And, I mean, you your career is in many ways like a, a model for you know up and coming creators like they can like look at what you've done and be like oh i want to do that i don't know how many jobs there are that yeah are like it's yours, funny so. i hear that a lot I, i've been getting a lot of, of young creators coming up and and that's an amazing thing and it is super cool to look at my resume and go that's fucking awesome um you know that listen the reality of the situation um and i'm i'm generally pretty honest about this as as much as I can, whether it be on panels or classes or podcasts or whatever. But the reality of the situation is this is a really hard industry. Um, and oh, yeah. even, even when one views someone else within this industry as successful, as uh, which is a moniker I, I, I may have um, had placed on me before, the reality of the situation is significantly different and and there's creative success and then there's financial success and there's the combination of the two sometimes there's one without the other um but it is it's a tough road it has always been a tough road it continues to be a very tough road yeah i mean i think i think the 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 best everyone gets to aspire to in this world is uh, a comfortable middle class existence you know <laughs> that like, would be awesome no <laughs> right that would be awesome that's, i will take that. that that's that's the secret right um and but i think that I think all of our all of us have to some degree like a, a hope that that the work that's being done isn't all for naught. Absolutely. That there's that there's a that there's a, a trail. But we, we've had we've had a couple of conversations over the years, and like sometimes you've been like super cynical about like the state of the affairs, and sometimes and then I see you turn around like and then you're booking like five different things, and I'm like okay, yeah. cynical, but he's working, and he's working, and he's and he's and he's you, you work at a high level of craft. So for those who are listening, who have heard of Blackout. Uh, but don't, haven't really dived in. Let's start there. Because, yeah. I mean, when Blackout was first spoken to me, and it was actually, we were just talking about Anthony a minute ago. Like, Anthony gave me this long rundown. You haven't met him, but, like, first time I heard about Blackout, like, Anthony was like, and this happens, this happens, this happens. And it and it sounded like the most ribald, freakish tale humanly imaginable. And he's like, and, it's like, and that's Blackout. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I love to hear that. You know, the, the, the mythology of Blackout has grown into something uh, whether we we want it to be that or not, the mythology of Blackout has almost over o overcome what the actual experience is. Um, so it's going to be super interesting to come back after ten years and have people go through it with the the landscape that we have going right now. After you've been through tension experience, after you've been through heretic, after you've been through hurting, if you've been through uh, you know delusion and everything else that's that's running right now, what? What does it mean to go back to the world of Blackout, which in in creating it again and revisiting that content, uh, you know, it is astounding to me how truly psychological it is, how truly psychological it, it, 
it was and that it started as a psychological horror experience. And I think what ended up happening was we sort of became known for more of the extreme torture physical elements. But the reality of the situation is that's simulated. I think a lot of the experiences out right now are not simulating that. They are actually doing that to people. And revisiting Blackout, it reminds me how inherently theatrical it was and that it is truly at its core an immersive theatrical experience. And it is really about um, using theatrical techniques to subvert what people are expecting and give them something that is undeniable and effective. That was always our goal. Um, obviously, I think we struck a chord with people. Um, and it, it, it's been wild to watch the, the show itself sort of turn into a bit of a legend. When you talk about revisiting it, are, is the plan for this year to remount the original as sort of like a, you know, here's the 10th anniversary, yeah. like non-special <laughs> edition, we're going to give you the uncut with all the film grain? Or are you instead saying, okay, we've got 10 years worth of experience on this and we're going to do you know, what we know, what we think it is now? Yeah, it's a great question. So, and and in truth, it is a question that Chris and I uh, continually ask each, uh, each other on almost a daily basis. You know, at the end of the day, there have been, I think, God, almost 30 different blackout shows. And damn. Yeah, and every single one of them is different. And we have always prided ourselves on you know, doing the artist thing and, and starting a new show and saying, well, what do we want to explore with this show? Um, I will say to all the creators, um, to all the young creators or just creators that are, are starting in, the, in this immersive field, um, uh, I've always been very vocal that I, I truly believe one of the biggest mistakes that we made in the last 10 years is not to repeat that first show and is to literally continue try to, to iterate it every single time and say, you never know what's going to happen. Um, at the end of the day, that's a tough fucking business model. Yeah. And um, it is it's great for repeat. Business, it's, yeah, it's great but, for repeat business. But for new business, it right. doesn't, doesn't do anything. And for you them. sort of look yeah. at Sleep No More. You look at Then She Fell. You know, they are still doing the same show that they opened with uh, seven, yeah. 10, nine, yeah. 15 years ago. And so in that sense, um, I do sort of look back at our trajectory and say, yeah, well, we probably should have done that if we wanted to be more successful. But we didn't. And it is what it is. And I'm super happy with all the content that has uh, come out of it. This show coming up is really going to be the synthesis of everything we've learned after 10 years. And there will definitely be some scenes and stories and characters that people will recognize. I think there are going to be some scenes and characters that people want to interact with again. Um, but for us, it is always looking at it in a new way. And looking at it with the new lens of what do we know now. Every single show from Blackout, from the first one that started in 2009 to the last iteration we did, which was, I don't even remember, I think an off-season a couple years ago, we're continually learning so much about how to fuck with the audience, where to fuck with the audience, how much to push, how much to pull back. Um, and so I, I really do believe that even though there are familiar elements, no pun intended, in the upcoming uh, show for 2019, uh, it, it really is being approached from a totally new perspective. I mean, we're really trying to synthesize everything we've learned over the past 10 years and, and create the, the ultimate addition. Well, also, the culture has changed 
like so much and it's not just and not just you know in one way the because the the rise of extreme haunts of which you know sort of blackouts of the godfather of 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 that stuff uh in in many ways um in a in direct many ways <laughs> sometimes <laughs> right. shows lifting lifting bits from you guys yeah even uh, to this day I, I won't lie it astounds me in the last week two things have actually come up where i sort of went are you serious still yeah like still you're still making that decision but people continue to do it yeah and sometimes there's spontaneous generation and other times it's like no people know that's what happened and they they, they rip it off but aside from that side of it you know also 10 years ago it's 2009 we're one year out from uh, the stock market crash we're into the first year of Obama's presidency uh, and we're still reeling from things like Abu Ghraib uh, you know the, the Iraq war and those those sort of psychic wounds are there and it felt like in terms of the legends were being told and, and things that have been described to me about what the show was because as, as we both know I've not been through blackout and i remember when you were, you were you almost did a show here once and you were like come on she come out i want you to come out and we hadn't met yet so yeah, i was like i, I was like that. i was like i don't know about this and then and then the show didn't happen and then afterwards we met now i'm like all like yeah probably go through you'll and be fine yeah and i have i have no compunctions about calling a safe word it's just like if it's too much for me like yeah, whatever you that's know? what it's there for absolutely exactly um that being said there's it is a different culture Sure. It, is, it, is a, it is a much different world, and with, there's there's different fears, but there's also this more ratcheted up level of anxiety throughout every day of our lives. Um, what do you see the role of, of, of a theater piece like this in that world? Yeah, I think art reflects our times, period. Um, and whether we consciously try to make that happen or, or unconsciously make it happen, it will continue to happen. We, I think as artists and as creators, respond to what's happening around us. And when Blackout first started in 2009, as you said, we were coming off the, the stock market crash. There was a lot of things going on, a lot of um, issues that we were dealing with. However, that was never our goal. We were just two stupid kids who wanted to make some money and thought it would be funny to put people through a haunted house by themselves. So none of it was a direct response to the political uh, context and what was happening. But obviously, with any art, it is a direct response, and it is received as a direct response, whether you want it to be or not. Um, so the big thing that was happening in 2009 that we kept hearing about was Abu Ghraib and, and, and all of the, um, the, the torture stuff that was going on. So naturally, people just automatically subscribed Blackout as making a comment about detainees and and uh, um, Guantanamo Bay and all those things uh, it really wasn't that's not what we were trying to do but I understand in retrospect that that sort of was the the image that we were pushing out uh, yes 2019 is super fucked up um, we are in a very different time right now um, I think politically socially uh, things are terrifying um, I think generally we are all terrified um, with either our, our guns about to being taken, our, our guns are going to be taken away, or we want to take someone else's guns away. There's all, I mean, there's the, the political landscape is so um, 
just full right now that there's so many things to draw from. As an artist, I have no desire to directly pick an issue out and, and throw it up on a screen. That's just not really the way we work. I think Chris and I are both more subtle in that sense. Um, we recognize that everyone's walking in with all those fears and all those anxieties, and so they will play off of it. The question for us almost becomes more of an internal question. How do we approach these things knowing that the landscape is what it is? How do you treat a show that is is known for extreme physical contact knowing that every two seconds people are getting accused of sexual harassment and sexual assault. So do you play into that? Are we now making a show where we're actually commenting about the sensitivity of strangers? Or are we making a show that we're actually commenting on, you know, we should uh, buck that trend and walk around hugging every stranger that we should see. And so I think it's actually forcing Chris and I internally to be very clear what our standpoint is or maybe not, it doesn't really make sense. Uh, it's, it's up to Chris and I to be very clear what it is we're trying to say. How yeah. people take it oh, and even, how it comes off. What do you mean to off? grapple with? Yeah. yeah, and what we're trying to grapple with. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, listen, you turn on the TV and it's like fucking blackout right now. So, you know, why do you need to, to pay $45 to come and have us do that to you when you can just sit at home and watch the news? Yeah. So it does beg that question, like, what are we contributing to the landscape now? What are we trying to say? Well, I mean, and I think it's like, I saw some experimental theater pieces this week that try one of which had some interactivity to it, but it was, it was like choose your own adventure style interactivity set out to the whole audience to like shout what they wanted to do, which is just no bueno. Um, but like what was interesting was like it, the, the framework of it was a sensitivity training video and Mm. like people were making choices and like you could feel people get tensed up as like they were, you know, mocking the the current language in the discourse mm, right like yeah. kind of like poking at those wounds and and you could you could hear people like start to see the little bit because of because of that and and when you're you know i i grapple with some of that stuff all the time and try and figure out and half the time i just wind up like being well some of the, some of my job is just to like you know shut the fuck up and like you know just listen and just like stay off the sidelines but i feel like as our our culture gets I mean, our society is becoming pluralistic, but our culture has no fucking idea how to do that, mm, right? Yeah. Like, it only knows how to atomize. It only knows how to, like, you know, like, everyone find their own affinity group. And, and indeed, the computers want us to be in our own affinity group that way. And yet, when we see something happens, particularly when things are, are toying around in, in the more uh, full contact space, and it's weird, because, like, it, the, when something gets labeled fully extreme, Right, some some of the shows that label themselves extreme, like th- they they kind of draw a line and sort of like a, a bunch of folks will like step away from it and be like, yeah, that's definitely not for me. I yeah. ain't gonna go anywhere near there. And you hear you hear no you hear of no problems. Doesn't mean that there aren't necessarily problems, but there's almost like a, a code of omerta mm-hmm, in there, right? Mm-hmm. Like the fans of that stuff don't want no trouble, so they're gonna they're gonna deal with it themselves as best they can, um, and. And oftentimes with some of this stuff, it can be hard to, I think as everyone knows, is like when it comes to the stuff that's really, really serious, it's hard to get that dragged out into the light because of just the way our society is set up in general. But mm-hmm. it is easy for people to jump on Facebook and start, 
you know, making a ruckus and a noise. Sure. And is that something that you're even like a little concerned about, you know, someone maybe who doesn't know what it is they're they're getting into walking into blackout and then being like, what the fuck was this? I thought this was like the church haunted house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I mean, wanted honestly, to hold spaghetti brains. <laughs> yeah, totally. And dip your hand to the glass eyeballs and, and the peeled grapes and stuff. Um, and frankly, that's super fun. I, I love those haunted houses too. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm terrified uh, of that stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm always terrified. Frankly, I'm terrified of everything. That's probably why I create Blackout. And, and, and the, the people who scare you are the people who are the, the scared the most. So, um, you know, I make no bones about it. I go home and 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 don't sleep at night because I'm nervous about what some of the comments are going to be when they come out. The problem that I have with Blackout is that nine times out of ten, it's not true. Um, and the amount of people who go through Blackout is very small. It's I mean, we send people through by themselves. So it's, you know, just on a, a nightly basis, we really can't fit through more than, you know, anywhere from 80 to 100 people a night, which in the grand scheme of things within the haunted house world is very small. And then what ends up happening is you have thousands upon thousands of people who hear one thing, jump on it, and then take it to the a millionth degree in extremity, and they never even experienced it. And that's the thing that I, I hate the most. If somebody walks through the show and they come out and they say, I think that that was chauvinistic or you know whatever it is that their complaint is, as far as I'm concerned, that's a valid complaint. They went through the show, they had that experience, and, and that is worth listening to. To somebody who read an article that, uh, you know, at one point in time, you stuck a tampon in your mouth, so naturally we, we must hate women and, and whatever, it, that makes no sense to me. And, and so I'm, a, I'm afraid of that. Um, and I think that where the political discourse is right now, as you said, the, the, the culture goes onto Facebook and they just start yelling. And I think we're trying to specifically make a show about that. I kind of think that that's exactly what Blackout plays into. But on the same token, we are prey to that as well. Um, and that can also make or break our show. And so it's, it is, it's nerve-wracking creating something that automatically gets put into the hands of the public. <laughs> but then again, if it wasn't put in the hands of the public it wouldn't really be making it. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like it's, I mean, it's, gotta, it's, gotta it's, it's this weird dichotomy that like for nine years and, and we talk about it, you know, earlier where you're like, well, you're successful. I'm like, well, I don't know. There's, there's two sides to that coin. There's two sides to every coin. And, and on one hand, it's amazing to create something that has turned into a myth. On the other hand, as an artist, it's fucking frustrating as hell because I want people to judge not the myth, the actual art that I create. Yeah. And they're not. And so that's the fear. I think that's where the biggest fear comes from. And in, in, in a macro sense with, with that, you know, like the, the fear I have is that, you know, we'll never find a way to scale the work. And with something like, something like when, because part of, part of the point of pulsing one person through at a time, when someone's going through something alone, like there's such power in that. Absolutely. And the only way to scale that is to like find some way to like keep something running item for item and and charge a little bit more than anyone would be comfortable in charging for it right uh and and you know 
franchise it out so it can pop up in multiple cities at once and then how do you quality control that and and right? if, if and i may you literally just described our last 10 years and and in that respect like we've tried everything and it's not just we like let let this be known to to other people that are listening you know we were picked up by golden voice we were picked up by aeg uh we worked with universal we worked with blumhouse we worked with uh focus features we worked with live nation um uh, I mean, so many major, major, major producers have latched on to this thing and have tried to scale it, have tried to make it uh, uh, grow into something. But at the end of the day, you're right. It is about sending people through one at a time. That is not scalable, period. Um, and, you know, I, I love this day to this day meeting producers that are like, why don't you give me your economics and let me see if I can, you know, crack the code. And I'm like, dude. AEG, Live Nation, <laughs> Golden Voice, you're not going to crack the code. Like what I think you need to do and, and you know, interestingly enough, shout out to uh, John Braver of Delusion, but he and I were having a great conversation the other day um, at, at Midsummer Scream about the shows that have been able to survive for more than five years, that have been able to stick around for 10 years. There is a knowledge and an education that we have about the peaks and valleys of fans and ticket prices prices. And sure, I, I know what it's like to charge $150 a ticket. Um, I've done that. I've been down that road. But I'm not going to do that this year. This year, it's we're playing a different game. And so I think it's about sort of understanding the context of of the the immersive landscape, understanding the context of the political landscape, and then trying to make the best decision that you can. And I think the the the, the takeaway for for me with that conversation that I had with um, John the other day was was really this idea that I, I, I think we're all approaching it in the right way. We're all asking the right questions, um, but we are also prey to the situational circumstances that we are presenting and producing in. And you sort of have to put all of those in a blender, mix it up, and then see what comes out. And, you know, John said something the other day that I have not stopped thinking about. He said, I've gotten to a point in my career that if 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 over 50 percent of what I initially thought <laughs> actually makes it up on the stage, I'm happy. Yeah. And yeah, I said burst out. Yeah, I yeah. burst out laughing when he said that. And I think only very few people are going to have that 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 feeling. But after doing this for 20 years and so long, it is it is it was such a. It was such a moment of truth <laughs> that he was spitting on that stage. Let's roll back pre-Blackout. How did you, how did you of all people, wind up making this thing? Yeah, totally. So um, I've always worked in theater. I used to be an actor. I went to NYU um, as an actor. I graduated in 2000. I lived in New York for several... Well, I lived in New York for 19 years. Um, but initially, after graduating, I was an actor. I did um, primarily focused on like Shakespeare and weird Grotowski, crazy experimental shit. And, um, you know, found a, a decent amount of success, I guess. Um, but then after a couple of years, I just realized that it was not the path for me. I was more of a producer and more of a creator. So I shifted into arts administration. I worked at uh, New York City Opera in the group sales department. I worked at Manhattan Theater Club in the individual giving department, fundraising. Um, kind of tried to give myself a really fast on the ground education about arts administration. Uh, and that was awesome. And it was an amazing time to be in New York. That was great. Through a very weird series of events, 
I'll just quickly wrap up in a fast story. Uh, bottom line, I was working at a, a super shitty off-off-Broadway theater on 11th Avenue and 22nd in Old Chelsea. It was run by one gentleman who had run the theater for 23 years. I was his intern for a couple of months and through a very weird and awkward series of events that I can tell you over many drinks and a different podcast. He literally handed me the theater. He, um, at the end of a show one night, he said, I'm so tired. I don't want to do this anymore. Do you want it? And uh, within 24 hours, he made me the president of the board of directors, handed me the keys, and he moved to a different state. And at 24 years old, I had the keys to my own theater in Chelsea. Uh, on the ground floor. It was fucking astounding. So I ran the uh, Vortex Theater and the Sanford Meisner Theater for six years. It was awesome. Um, I produced a ton of work. That was where I first met Chris. Chris was a director getting his master's at Columbia under Ann Bogart's program. Um, I started working with him there at my theater, uh, kind of focusing very specifically on experimental sort of weird versions of classic texts. And, uh, you know, fast forward six years, we produced over, you know, a hundred different shows and directed and choreographed and we had Drama Desk Awards and and New York Times articles and and things were going really well. Um, But as is often the case in New York, we lost the theater, literally just from a real estate point of view, we had to get out on January 1st of 2010. And so in 2009, uh, in the summer, I thought I came up with an idea to make a little bit of money uh, to make back all the debt that I had incurred from all the shows that I was producing over the past six years. And that idea was a haunted house in the middle of the summer. And the rest kind of fell from there. Necessity being the mother of invention. Yeah, man. Listen, yeah. it's f- so funny. Yeah. I say that all the time to people. And obviously, it is the most common thing, right? Necessity is the mother of all invention. But... There's the people and giving the tour. Keep going. Uh, necessity is the mother <laughs> of all invention. Um, and at the end of the day, you do what you can. I'm not as big a fan as like dreaming large and seeing what comes out of it as much as I am seeing what's around you, recognizing what can be done, and then just fucking knocking it out of the park. Yeah. And being able to dream with the next project. And, yeah. and that, was, that was how it started. Yeah, I think there's there's something when when you I always look at it this way, right? And I think I may have even said it the other day uh, on that same panel. Like, if you have an infinite amount of creative resource, financial resources, uh, and a creative spark, you wind up with Jar Jar Binks. You know, like you wind up with like, oh, I can dream anything. And it's like, yeah. it, you gotta when you're pushing up against when you're pushing up against your limitations, then suddenly you got you gotta find what works. What works? What can you, what can you keep doing? Um, it's because it's also super easy to just take your your creative energy and just like talk about like all oh all the things that we could do, and then suddenly you're just spinning your wheels, spinning your wheels, spinning your wheels, and it's not until it's not until you know the 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 the, the reality meets the audience that you actually have something going on. You know, it, just to add to that, the other thing that I think is so important to Chris and I for for this journey for this ten year journey is recognizing all of the things we sort of um, innovated that we came up with, solidifying it, simplifying it. So just so you know, at this point in our recording, we got interrupted by a passing group of people touring the space. So we came back a couple of minutes later. Here we go. So the second thing 
that was important is frankly paying everybody um i mean just just bottom line (laughs) trying to make a livable wage for the people who work on a nightly basis and you know the one of the biggest problems we've always had with blackout is obviously it well not obviously i think a lot of people think we're very financially successful but we're not and and if you look at the 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 business model and the business dynamics of what it takes to have a cast of 12 and send audience members through one at a time just just do a like a really quick excel spreadsheet mm-hmm. and you'll see so fast well and the worst part is like insurance and rent oh, yeah. take up so much oh my god so much before yeah before you even begin and then trying to pay people on top of it it's and and like, we've you know chris and i have almost you know, we said earlier, necessity is mother of all invention. We almost built Blackout as a low-budget piece so that we could try to pay our actors. And we've always been able to pay our actors at least a... a, 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 a well, what we tried to, to say is a decent wage. But at the end of the day, um, we've been doing this for 10 years, and, and there's really no point in coming back if we're just going to be doing it for the love of the game. Yeah. Um, this turned into a career for Chris and I in terms of getting other jobs. I think there are other actors that could probably say the same thing. And so it was incredibly important for us to set up a situation where we could create a show where we had the artistic freedom that we wanted and that we could work with the people that we wanted to work with and actually give them a livable wage. And that is one of the main reasons uh, well, it's not one of the main reasons. It's pretty much the only reason that we set up the Kickstarter to to help the actors and box office staff. Um, but it is literally meant everything that's raised through that is 100% going to the actors and the box office and the stage managers. And that is it. It's not going to the creators. It's not going to travel. It's not going to props or costumes. And that was a really important thing to us. Um, in terms of setting our priorities, and I, I said this earlier, where I said it was, that in terms of the political landscape, it forced Chris and I to really make a decision about where we stand and what it is we're trying to say. However, that's sort of, um, however, that's uh, uh, shown to the audience. Um, but the other thing is that we got very clear in we don't want to do this if everyone's going to break their backs and come out of this you know a broken human being yeah um the show is not as important as the people who make it happen and i think we've been very lucky and have also understood very clearly the actors are what makes blackout blackout and that is sometimes what we're known for usually you'll hear about interactions with people um and it is those characters and those actors that I really think um, sort of pushes Blackout to another level. And so it was really important to us this year that if we were going to come back to do it in such a way that hopefully we could reward the daily run staff um, who truly, truly, truly are the people that are actually making it happen. I f- it's, it's hard for me to like think of something to f- follow up all that because we've we've done so much we've covered so much ground in, in such a small little compact time um looking out i'm almost scared to ask you this like looking out at the, the, the larger landscape with all the activations all the stuff that's going on all the things the things you're booking like where's where's your head at these days like should should i just like 
pack up now and just go <laughs> go learn my barista skills and like just like oh, finish man. it up. Like, I mean, be harsh. It's it's sometimes is what I turn to you for. Yeah, no, you know, I, it's this funny. is the last episode I, of No Percent. <laughs> yeah, sorry everybody. I I seem to just be a wet blanket a lot of the time, and um, I don't mean to. And yet I, you're coming back to do the show again. Yeah, right? so I, gotta, I, you the, know, the actions and the words. The, yeah, know, the the yeah. thing for me is is that like I always try to pepper my realism <laughs> with. Um, with, uh, with a sense of like, I know where my heart is. I know what the inspiration is. I know the chills that I get up my spine when something works and that's why we do what we do. And, 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 and I do stand behind all this work that we do. Um, I think the, th- the, the, the moments where I get really negative on things and it's not even that I get negative. I just, to me, I just get, just, <laughs> I get, I become realistic um, and I look at what's happening and I look at where the money's going and I look at who's getting paid um, and and what opportunities there are for the artists who are working in this field right now. And, you know, one could make a really strong argument that within the immersive activation marketing field right now, it's booming and that within the next five years, it's only going to get bigger. I think the people who are making that argument, though, weren't here five years ago when that argument was also being made. Right. And, and yeah, um, I mean, and it is bigger, but it hasn't boomed, right? Like it's grown half again. Right. And it, it, well, it's grown in the sense that it's happening more. Yeah. Where where I don't think it's really grown is, um, and I won't get into too many specifics, but like the 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 director writer fee that I got paid in 2013 to work on the purge fear the night for Blumhouse was not terribly dissimilar from the fee I got paid to write and direct the castle rock Hulu experience last year. Yeah. Um, and that is a almost a six year difference. And so, you know, I see things growing, um, in that there are more opportunities to be had. I don't, know if the field itself is growing. I think marketers are having a hard time capturing uh, their ROI or their return on investment. They're having a hard time uh, recognizing what their um, their their KPIs are. And I don't even remember what KPI stands for. Do you? I, it's a marketing cost, thing. It's not cost per impression. No, that's a C. Okay, it's something per impression. It's yeah. uh, um, it's it's well, whatever it's, it's, yeah. it's being able to analyze the data that's coming back to say, Oh, this is effective because we saw X amount of people go through and we spent X amount of dollars, which means this was how much we spent for marketing dollars or whatever. And yeah. they can sort of put it through a funnel and, and see what's successful and not. We don't have those analytics for, for these activations right now. And so um, I think it's kind of only a matter of time before it, it the the fad starts wearing off a bit. Like they try and extend it by like, okay, how many how many Instagram hits? It's why everything's designed around right. the selfie. It's like how many brand impressions can we get? Uh, it was funny. I was, there was an episode we were recording today with the Think Tank guys, and they were talking about um, and, and Jake was mentioning. Uh, there was a like a, a, a fried chicken activation. I think it was Jack in the Box or something like that. Right, like their chicken yeah, tenders. Yeah. And Juliet had written this like kind of really just this kind of massive takedown on like these like you know badly badly laid out you know fake selfie palaces. Mm-hmm. And 
And he said, like, they looked at the hashtag and there were like six posts, three of which were paid, clearly paid, you know, you know, brand people. And three of them were some like some random dude who just wandered in and found it. Yeah. And it's like no one cared. (laughs) And I keep on thinking about it from the point of view (coughs) of like no one's no one understands. Not no one, but like it seems like a lot of people with the money don't understand what makes this work interesting. And so. Uh, they they understand what it looks like on a surface level, right? It's like oh, there's an object, and you can stand in or on or around it with people, and you can hold some signs, and then a photograph gets taken. Great, right. we're gonna make that, right? And right, because right. that's 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 the artifact that's left behind. Right, It'd be like right. if someone decided to design Disneyland around nothing but the f- the Mickey photo opportunities. Like, if right, there were no right. rides, if there were no food stalls, if it was just photo ops. I mean, I, th- I think the the only issue, <clears throat> and, and for the record, I agree with you 100%. I mean, the issue as I see it is that I don't know if I disagree, though, with some of those marketers in that, yeah, there it is a finite period of people. Yes, in, in Castle Rock, we fit through 4,000 people in three days. That's it. That is it. And you can look at all the other hashtags and all the other things, but you can't really analyze that to, you know, down, down to a specific data point. And so there is this side of me being the, the wet blanket realist that I am, that I'm kind of like, yeah, I, listen, I, I will happily activate 5,000 people for you, but let's be clear, I'm really just activating 5,000 people for you. And I think they're starting to catch in on that yeah. too, that there, there is this sort of illusion of, well, if you post it, it actually gets all this reach. Nah, not really. Yeah. Somebody who looks at that post is probably not going to go, shit, I want to watch that TV show. But somebody who went through it might av- absolutely say, I want to watch that TV show. So for me, it's sort of a, a understanding the, the limitations of that immersive activation form and also just paying attention to what is happening in the landscape. It makes, a, it is very telling to me that the Kneebolt House opened last year on Hollywood and Vine and it's opening again this year and nowhere else. Yeah. If that were truly the marketer's wet dream, how come they're not opening one in Paris? How come they're not opening one in China? How come they're not opening one in New York? Still, just the LA one. And I think it's because there is an understanding of, yes, this does have reach. Yes, this can connect with consumers. But there is a cap here. There is a limit. And you will never be able to have immersive theater activations uh, uh, overrun uh TV commercials and billboards and radio spots. It's just not going to happen. There is a finite pe- uh, peer- there is a finite number of people that we can reach in this. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think we just need to be a little bit realistic internally uh, as an immersive community about what we can do for these brands and where we actually see it headed. Yeah, I, mean, I, I keep on coming back to this idea that much like medieval society was divided up into those who pray, those who fight, and those who work. Um, sort of pop culture right now is divided up to those who make, those who play, and those who watch. And right. I look particularly at like gaming, is where I, I get this from, right? Is that you get folks like Ninja, who just signed with Microsoft for probably seven figures to move from Twitch 
to Microsoft's Mixer and to hopefully bring over his fans to Microsoft's platform uh, so that Microsoft could, you know, compete with Amazon, who owned Twitch, because it's always some bigger brand. Uh, and the the idea there is that, you know, the, 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 the idea is that everyone who's watching Ninja, they're watching because he's an interesting personality, they're watching the game, and then they're going to go and they're going to they're gonna play the game. They, they want to do what Ninja does, these personalities. And that's something that we don't have in immersive. We don't have these personalities that people are watching or following, probably because we haven't found the right personalities yet. You know, like yeah, it's not going to yeah, be, yeah. it's not going to be a middle-aged white dude. Like that's, that's for damn certain. So like, I don't try to... St- you know, we're expanding our. Well, be careful. I mean, maybe you've seen the blackout experience experiments <laughs> documentary. It, it might be. There are some middle aged white dudes in there who are like, you know, but like, you know, uh, watching, you know, there's there's a there's a, a thing about thing about monkey see monkey do. Right. There's a thing about people like watching people. Yeah. And I, I think back to like the paranormal activity, the ads are paranormal activity. Right, and 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 which, if memory serves, made Bloomhouse. Right, that's how they made all their money in in at the, at, in, in the long run. Um, and you've got maybe I'm thinking the wrong small studio. Maybe that was lying. No, no, you're right. You're oh, right. You're right. You're right. Good, Blumhouse. Good. Yeah. Um, those ads were we're not we're not putting we're not showing the movie footage. We're going to stick a camera with night vision and watch the audience freak the fuck out. Totally. And like that sold it so hard. Totally. Right? You know, and and that oh god, I still remember like being in the bathroom after that movie and someone being like, "Oh, yo man, like you think like like what why do people keep going back into that house? Like, <laughs> you know, why did that happen?" And I'm sitting there like did these people not know this was not real? So <laughs> yeah. they're, they're sitting there it's like a horror they, movie, they guys. Was, they thought it was real. It was the god bless them. Um but but this idea of like priming people to want to engage and and it's not it's there's still a capacity problem after that it's it's not like someone can turn around and go buy Fortnite you know the way they can and well they don't buy they just spend money on in Fortnite they can't go to an immersive theater piece but for these activations it could be like oh well you know am yeah. I going to be as scared as the person yes in, although in, I, I I guess the 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 devil's the devil's advocate point that I have to that is that um, you know immersive theater is built on singular individual experiences um, and when you go through a game you could literally play the same round that that guy is playing you could jump the same jump that he's doing but I think one of the other problems that we face is that we all make such a good argument and and rightfully so that every time you go through it it's a different experience that's the joy of immersive theater it's about you it's about what you bring to the table and so consequently it's a very hard medium to market through other people's experiences because it's very hard to say do you want to do what this person did well you can't but you can come and try your own version of it and so it, it's it again like it's it's just this. Although I'd flip around, put my marketing brain on, and just be like, no, see what I'm telling you is like, come tell your story. Well, yeah, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, and yeah. and that's yeah, and, and truly, then, that's a different tactic, yeah. and and that that works. Yeah, and there's and there's something like you know, uh, there are different scales of experiences, right? Because like you know, sleep no more. You know, they shove what three hundred people a, a show through, and they've got more. I think more. And these days, ugh. Uh, and they've got they've got Shanghai open, right? They've opened up a, another instance, and they're shoving shoving folks through there, and it's like the the more intimate stuff and the stuff that we really get into, right? You know, as 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 the deep diving fans of this stuff, like 
you know, I I look at this as that there's levels to the problem or layers to the onion, and you know, I'd love if there were a few more sleep and more scale things because you can pump a lot of people through them, have them be at that high quality, you know, get a good land deal <laughs> to make it work, you know, build a bar around it, monetize the hell out of the building, and like keep that attraction going. And then hopefully you would also then see, you know, a couple of then she fells pop up and a yeah. couple of these pop Absolutely. up. And then and and as people start to get a taste for it, some percentage, not a lot. Yeah. But some percentage of people are going to want to experience more. It's like uh, I was talking with folks the other day after that panel, and like one of the issues, you know, almost everyone here in LA by necessity uses what I call the fine dining model, where it's like, I'm going to charge you $75 for this <laughs> singular experience. That's a fine dining. Like, that's, that's, a, that's a big night out, yeah, right? Yeah. I'm going to charge you $150 right. for this singular experience. And the worst part is when I say fine dining and some people instantly start thinking like, oh, so i got to feed everybody? And I'm like, no, no don't no, feed no. them because you're going to feed them Costco food. Stop feeding people Costco food with $150 tickets. Yeah. Please stop feeding people Costco food on $150 tickets. Yeah. People know it's Costco food. It's a good PSA. Frickin' stop. Um, <laughs> oof. Um, Not that... I, j- Stop! Don't you dare. Um, the, the the point there is that if the only restaurants in the world were fine dining restaurants, there would be no restaurant industry. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. So for there to be a restaurant industry, you need everything from you need your fast casual, your slow casual, you need your fast foods, you need Denny's. Right. Right now, in this country and in this immersive theater scene and in this immersive world right if we, if we scale up enough we start talking about theme parks about it the whole game changes but right now if we just limit ourselves just to the theater side we've got we've got a super fucking hip diner that sleep no more okay and we've got <laughs> like that boutique restaurant that everyone we've got we've got a ludo place that everyone gets a reservation ahead of time and that's then she fell and okay. then we've got a shit ton of pop-ups around all trying to be Ludo's yeah. spot, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, that's not an industry, no, right? No, so not. we need a few more super hip diners, and maybe somewhere out there, someone can figure out what the Denny's is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's been amazing to watch the creators over the last five years come to prominence and and bring their shows to fruition, and see how all the different creators are dealing with these questions in very different ways and uh, almost more specifically how they're kind of addressing different niche audiences within an already niche audience to sort of kind of put their put their stake in and and I think that the the organizations and the shows that have really succeeded are the ones that have really tapped into who they are who their audience is and not shooting too high to a certain extent um and the ones that have really kind of faltered are are, are the ones that i think that are are kind of grasping at straws to say well maybe we try this concept ah that didn't work okay let's try this concept that seems to be popular okay let's try this concept let's that seems to be popular and really kind of you know hammering down simplifying everything determining who your audience is who it is that you're trying to hit and just going full steam ahead and making the show as successful as it can be 
in its iteration right now, not trying to expand, not trying to grow the show and the audience beyond what it should be, but just make it successful for what it is. I think those are the shows that rise to the surface. Yeah. Um, and it's very clear when you have a group of artists that are actually just trying to make something versus a group of artists that are trying to start a company and are trying to create a, a you know, a five-year work plan that has an audience go to this one, then this one, to this one. We're artists. Just do the one thing that you do really, really well. Kind of pulling it full circle back to Blackout, that's truly one of the best things about coming back after 10 years is that there is, after 10 years of, of doing so many different projects, so many different shows, working for so many different um, companies and, and for people, there is a simplicity with Blackout and our messaging that is um, nice to just relax into, which is we have a very specific audience. We've never tried to expand that audience in terms of like, you know, well, maybe you like it. No, no, no. You either like it or you don't. And if you don't like it, we don't really even want you in the door. We've been very clear about that. And so, so again, sort of coming back after 10 years, understanding and watching other people find success and trying to bring that back to the Blackout brand, saying, what do we do? What do we do well? What do people come to us for? And how can we give that to them in a hopefully surprising and innovative way is is what we're trying to do josh if someone someone thinks that they're a blackout person how do they find the new show and if someone wants to participate in the kickstarter and give those actors a living wage how do they do that absolutely so our website is theblackoutexperience.com you could also go to our facebook page which is really big it's it's just forward slash blackout haunted house um and i think we're also just blackout on instagram as well um but truly our social media pages is where everything resides whether it be facebook or instagram um blackout was born <laughs> from the fans it was literally built by the fans and is now being made for those people and and we're trying to come up with a way now to allow the fans of immersive theater, but specifically the fans of Blackout, to interact with us and our actors in a way that they're actually helping us build the show. They can literally be a part of that. And so I, I really encourage anyone who's a fan of immersive theater, even if you're not into the extreme horror thing, join us on the Blackout Facebook page. Join us on the Instagram page. Start speaking up. Start connecting with fans. Um, you, you might be surprised that that maybe Blackout is your thing. I said it to you before, but seriously, truly, honestly, deeply, after 10 years, it is astounding to me starting to put the Blackout shows back together um, where I go, you know what? You're going to be just fine. You're going to be fine. Seeing what's happened in this this theatrical landscape over the last 10 years, Blackout is like the, the, the least of your issues. You need to be really concerned about a lot of companies that are out there right now. I think people are really, truly doing some dangerous shit and, and people are getting hurt. Um, weirdly, I hope Blackout doesn't fall into that category. We, are, uh, we craft a, a very specific experience. It is about the audience and what they bring into it. And so it is important to have that input and to have that contribution from the fans and from the guests 
And so, you know, I, I encourage everyone to go to our Facebook page, to our Instagram, um, most importantly, I guess, to our to our website as well. Um, there is no newsletter. Um, it is blackout. We're not always very nice to people. Um, so they shouldn't really expect their hand to be held during during this. Um, sometimes information is hard to come by. That's why tickets um, are so highly coveted, because usually they're reserved for the people that actually put in the work to get the tickets. Um we want the show to be for the people who want it. And so hopefully you guys will come and join us. Once again, I want to thank Josh Randall for joining us on the show. For those whose curiosity has been engaged, you can find what you need at theblackoutexperience.com. And so you know, the Kickstarter is up to uh, $25,000 with 110 backers who have already pledged, uh, which means that they've gone a long way to getting the actors paid a fair wage. And I just want to, I want to point this out and I want to talk about this one clearly. I think it's a great thing that they're doing this Kickstarter. Um, I think the, the, the open, open, dirty, awful secret about what we all do, uh, well, what all the creators do, is that no one is getting paid a living wage. No one's able to get it. No one's no one's making a bunch of money uh, doing this work. We are still in that phase where people are, are, are scratching away. I think we, we get into that in this episode in a real way. And I know that some people can look at the Kickstarter and be maybe cynical about it, but you know what? Crowdfunding is here to cover the gaps that the stupid system that we live in creates. And it is a way for people to express what they truly desire and just cut out the middlemen and also to put a real valuation on the things that matter most to them. It's one of the reasons why we actually do crowdfunding at NoPro. It's why we've got a Patreon. It's why I sometimes think about doing some special projects using a Kickstarter to launch them. We haven't done it yet. We may at some point. We may do that at the top of the year. There's a reason why. And it's that the system that we have in place already has pretty much fully broken down. And the people who are doing the work do not get to have the resources they need to do the work. And people pop work up and are not able to distribute it or they're not able to make it. Now, there are folks who would say, like, well, if you can't afford to do it, don't do it at all. But then nothing happens and folks don't get to express themselves. And folks maybe wind up going off and working for less to do something that they don't want to do. Or they don't get a chance to build out their skills, their reputation, and they're not able to level up to the next thing. Um, I would love if we lived in a world where all the projects from the creators who I think are amazing were fully funded right from the start, that, uh, immersive work was commanding the kinds of budgets that Netflix shows and movies get to have one day, but between here and there, between now and that glorious future that I hope we all live long enough to see. We're doing it for ourselves and we're doing it through things like the Kickstarter. And all we can really do is praise the folks who are dropping the cash to make 
the artists' lives better. So thank all of the backers on Blackout and all of our backers and anyone who's given to any of the stuff that you might find in the now funding section of Everything Immersive This Week, which you can find at nopersinium.com every week, every Saturday. We make it for you. Uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a segue for you. Check that one out. Check out all the latest listings. Um, if you want, uh, so here's the thing. Spooky season is coming here in LA, so we're preparing our spooky season spectacular. We're going to be curating our lists of immersive stuff going on in LA. That will appear next week. Uh, it'll appear, it'll go out in newsletter form, it'll also continue to evolve on the site. I also want to direct your attention uh, to our friends at Midsummer Scream, who also have a newsletter. And they've got their Halloween listings. So if if horror and Halloween are your thing and you're in Los Angeles and you and you don't know about Midsummer Scream's newsletter, do you actually live in Los Angeles? I don't know. Check that out. There will be a link in our spooky season spectacular. Also, give a shout out to our friends over at Horror Buzz, Jeff Heimbuck, who's also one of the mods over at Everything Immersive, our Facebook group that we all kind of hold in trust with each other. Uh, check out their listings because be, beyond immersive, there is a ton of Halloween stuff and horror stuff that happens in L.A. in the period of time. If you're visiting... Uh, and if you love horror, if you love things that go bump in the night, if you're in New York, you go to Blackout. If 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 you if, if you're made of that stuff, and if you're in LA, there's there's something for you. There's 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 something for everybody. There's something for literally everyone who likes Halloween in Los Angeles, and uh, all year round, but definitely at this time of year. So check all those out. Keep an eye on your inboxes. It'll be coming through. Nopersinium.com is the place. Check out all of our coverage of all things immersive, from immersive theater to mixed reality, escape rooms, everything in between. That sound you just heard is a reminder that uh, I got to go be a cat dad right now. So I'm going to go be a cat dad. And we're going to read the credits. The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. The sustaining backers of No Persinium are... Mark Balthazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hanson, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, and Samuel Mustry. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, and until next time, I'll see you at the show. Mm-hmm.